0: Ugh. Just a reminder about plans for Easter. You know, uh, Ash Wednesday began the Lenten season, and I did a, my usual podcast. I kind of got into, I wouldn't say necessarily the history, but maybe the, the story and beliefs behind Lent and a little bit about Ash Wednesday. We'll continue to have our, our Bible studies at 8.30 in the morning throughout, so we just have one or two more of those. And then uh, sunrise service on the lawn, weather permitting, Uh, Boy, if we have a day like today, we are set. But the sun rises, even if there's clouds, and sometimes that's the message we need to hear as well. And then that'll be around 6.30, a hot breakfast afterwards in here around 7. And then, of course, our traditional service at uh, 10 a.m. I've already started putting together our our books for that morning, our Resurrection Sunday books, with all the hymns we like to sing in the morning outside, and, and of course, the materials for the service at 10 a.m. Just one more announcement, a reminder, really. This is one you're not going to like. Set your clocks forward one hour next week. I know. I know you lose that hour of sleep. So sorry about that one hour of sleep, but you're going to lose. But I'm, I'm just trying to save you the embarrassment of coming in here at 11 o'clock, thinking that you're going to be on time. But you probably don't recall me offering this same message back in the fall. It's because we pastors like to do this as you accidentally wander in an hour early and we got you for Bible study. But uh, this this year... Uh, yeah, this this time of year we uh, we lose an hour of sleep, but we have that hour of sunshine at the end of the day, and I love that. You know, getting off work and knowing there's some hours left in the day. So this morning we conclude the message series. What's missing? And each week we we looked at a passage from Scripture to make sure we weren't overlooking an intended idea, purpose, or lesson. And and by doing this, perhaps you came a little closer to some application. Um, And some understanding. And maybe you took some confidence that nothing in this particular era was missing from your own personal understanding. And and to recap, um, the first one we looked at in everything, right? In everything. The original Greek word was was two separate words. Every individual thing we give thanks. Raving fans, as we talked about what it means to not just be a sideline observer, but that extra person on the field as we cheer on God's work in this world. And sometimes... We're called to be in the action as well. Loving, judging, forgiving others as ourselves. For sometimes that means that we need to elevate how we look and view ourselves. Sometimes it means a a reality check. But in all things, we're supposed to love others the same way, the same time, the same, you know, um, just fervor and with all the love and acceptance that God has for us. And last week, the measure we use where God tells us several times the measure we use will be the measure they give it to us. So don't we want the largest measure we can find as we measure out our love and grace and forgiveness and everything for other people and ourselves? In other words, including this particular message series, I hope you can see how taking the additional time and intentional effort to dive into some of these scriptures, these familiar scriptures, can reveal a little more about God's character and his will for us in our lives. This week we're looking at John 4, which includes the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Go ahead and flip that slide. This is the scripture remember that Mark read earlier in the service. John 4, 23 through 24 from the New International Version. It says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Let's put this in context so we can truly really understand what, what Jesus means by in the spirit and in truth. And to do this, we're gonna go back to the beginning of the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John, okay? Um, so flip the next slide up there for me, Becky, if you would, please. It's a map of of this area where, where Jesus was. This is Israel at the time of Jesus, around the first century AD. Um, So I'm going to read from John 4, and if you want to follow along, I'll be reading from the NIV, starting at verse 1. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. Now that's interesting, but that's the mission, right? That's that's even the mission he left for us. It says, So he left Judea and went up back once more into Galilee. So you can see from this map, Judea is down the south there, there's Bethlehem and Jerusalem, and and he was going up north towards Galilee, along, along that area there. And verse four says, "Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sichar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, so, by most estimates, it's a forty-mile walk." Right, and if you were like me, trying to get your 10,000 steps a day, I think this is like 84,000 steps. So this was this was a walk. So probably about a two-day journey for him. Go ahead and flip the next screen, if you would. And this is a little bit of a cleaned-up version. He's going from Ephraim in Judea up to Galilee, and part way through there is is Jacob's Well. All right, take one more slide. These are pictures. Thank you, Google Earth. You can see some of the landscape, I would venture to say. It probably hasn't changed other than the buildings a whole lot in 2,000 years. So this was, this was the walk that Jesus took on his, on his trek from Judea up to Galilee, and this is the area around Samaria. It has been suggested that, that God ordained Jesus' journey through this less preferred route through Samaria so that Jesus would declare he was the Messiah in the same land God promised Abraham that we, he would have many descendants. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I'd like to think it's more of a coincidence, but this is definitely a part of the Holy Land. Verse seven, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? In parentheses, verse eight says, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. There you go, so we'll leave the slide up for a minute. This is Jesus talking to the woman at the well. Verse nine, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman Now, if you know what happens next, you can imagine what she's feeling. Verse 17, she goes, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Uh oh. How did he know? So the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped here on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, perhaps this is one of the rubs between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Do you ever think less of another person because their beliefs or maybe just their understandings of our shared beliefs are different? Hmm, right? How many denominations do we have that claim Jesus is Christ and God is their favorite? And right, and, and don't these become little bits of points of contention? But listen to what he says. This is verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, this is, this is Jesus talking and he says, with all respect, this is not a condescending Tone, woman replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We should worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, here's the passage from the scriptures, verse to remember. It says, Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the king of worship, the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to me. (laughs) Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Wow, the guy I've heard about. You're the Messiah, the Christ. Not only that I've heard rumor about, but I've read about the promised one. Now Jesus' disciples returned to him Verse 27 says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, how many times have we heard the story of Jesus talking to someone or healing someone or teaching someone and he didn't, he said, go, Get more people, right? That's the instruction. Even the angels told the shepherds, go run and tell everyone what you've heard. So the next couple verses are, are about the interaction with, with, uh, between Jesus and the disciples who return. But I'm gonna skip ahead to verse 39. Again, this is John 4, verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Wow. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and now we know that this man really is a savior of the world. But they came on her testimony all because of this this interaction at the well. I think it's worth noting this woman is just another example of Jesus talking to everyone. And again, to use that, that message from a couple weeks ago, everyone. Not just everyone collectively, but everyone single and individually. God sent Jesus, and Jesus is talking to and, t- and teaching everyone. And it goes beyond the social norms of the day that dictated that these Jewish people, the Samaritans, just don't get along. They don't associate with each other. And we certainly knew this from another one of Jesus' parables, right? The Good Samaritan. Even the title itself almost implies an irony that the Samaritan was good but it was the Samaritan that helped the beaten man who again wasn't his own people by the side of the road. I also think that a response of shock as he spoke to her wasn't as if she was above him. I don't think it was the Samaritans felt like they were better than the Jews. Rather that that a Jew would talk to a Samaritan and then when the truth was revealed about what she had done, he knew who she was already. Not just what she'd done, but who she was. And just... As he does with you. He doesn't just know what you did, but he knows who you are. He approaches with no condemnation, no disdain for her. And he asked her for something. And and she was almost hesitant to to give it to him because, you know, why would you lower yourself? But this is about that humility we talked about, Bible study this morning. The story goes beyond that. It isn't just about the social disconnect between the two represented groups. Jesus clearly knew that this woman had some sin and disgrace in her life, so much so that her presence at the well in the heat of the day indicated she wasn't looked highly upon by other people. You know, She came up there when no one else was around, so she didn't have to hear the criticism and the judgment. But how interesting, those same people, when they came, they came running when she told her story about this man who knew everything she did, and they knew what that was. And they came, they wanted to know more. I'm gonna digress for a moment. Would you click the next slide here? This, these are pictures of the, the well. It's a holy site, and some of these pictures were taken in the 1800s, 1930s, okay? You can see you know, almost 2,000 years later it remains. It's, it's a holy site, a place of worship. It was at the time of Jesus. You know, he said this is where the Samaritans came to worship. It was at the time when Jesus met the woman there, and because of the story and the woman's testimony, it became even more so a holy site. And the pictures on the screen are various photographs taken between the 1800s and 1930s, even more recently. Still today it exists, and like many of the holy sites in the region, a church now stands on top of it. Go ahead and click to the next slide there. This is uh, an Orthodox church that is built on this site, and it's hard to tell here, but there are stairs going down Go ahead and click it one more time. And this is the well as it stands now. That is the the well there, and you can still draw water from it. You can still drink water from it. That's pretty cool. If you were to visit this today in person, you can go to the site. You can stand where Jesus and the woman stood. You can draw fresh water from the well, and yes, they say you can drink it. This is a lot of the draw of the Holy Land tours, to, to see for yourself the places that biblical events occurred, to walk where Jesus and the disciples walked, to, to see what they saw and to understand this environment. How cool is that? This final picture is one of my coworkers cranking the handle. She went on a, a Holy Land tour the week after I started my new job. She said, I'm going to be gone. I'm, I'm going to the Holy Land. I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous. And I, I sent a, a message on Friday. I said, did you happen to go to Jacob's well? She said, I did. Would you send me a picture? She said, there's more to the story, but but there she is with a a bunch of ladies from a a large Methodist church in Kansas City who went and was at Jacob's well. I mean, that is pretty neat. But Jesus reminds us all that this water may sustain us physically, but there is a living water that sustains us spiritually and for eternity. Do you want to hear something really exciting, even better than, than you can still see this? you can still get that same living water that Jesus spoke of. You go ahead and flip it. Jesus told us God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And Christians, we we treasure the truth, not just honesty, but we, we treasure the truth. And we were designed to worship God and they were given with the spirit. We were designed with the spirit to do so, to worship this way. So what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? After all, Jesus said that this is, you know, that time has come. I mean, he told her, he said, at some point there will be a time, and that time is now when we will worship in spirit and truth. What do you think that means? Anybody, what do you think it means to worship in spirit and in truth? Help me out or don't think anybody comes to church. Becky, shout something out. Tell a joke. <laughs> there are people here, I promise. <laughs> it's tough, right? Because you, you don't want to give the wrong answer, but it's, I think it means come as you are, right? God is spirit. I mean, he is, come in spirit. Come as you are. Just bring it. Just bring it. If everything is an act of worship, then be transparent. Be yourself. Be a person of integrity, including the ugly, right? The woman didn't deny those sins that Jesus had pointed out. She didn't, hem and ha, at least the Bible doesn't record it. You know, she was more amazed that he knew that. And it didn't stop him one second from the instructions. This is what I offer you. Go tell people, right? Now we we wonder what worship looks like and I think it's whatever you want to make it, right? We, We sang a hymn a couple weeks ago, Angel, um, a straight fall, right? That means to lay down just completely flat. So in awe worship. And sometimes people, you know, lift their hands up and sometimes they don't. It's like, it's, but if it's, if it's unnatural, if it's forced, it just doesn't feel right. How many people talk with their hands, right? But he, I had this experience earlier this week, right? I had that, that interview and I'm like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Do they, do they, what do I do with my hands? They said, just talk as you normally would. Well, I think I did this because I didn't know what to do. God wants you to worship naturally. What does that feel like? How loud are you singing? What notes are you singing? What, what are you thinking in your mind? Just come as you are. That woman came to the well just as she was. In fact, your, your prayer can be something like, God, here I am. As you just come humbly and honestly before the cross, I'm here fully. My whole spirit is here. And then to worship with your whole self, your spirit. Your spirit. Everything about you leans into, opens up, and points to him who created, leads, and loves you. Can you do that? Of course you can. You were literally made for that. But if you're like me, you like to have a couple practical steps. So I found this commentary that maybe some five ways to worship in spirit and truth, and you just take them food for thought. First is to connect people to God. God detested how his people compartmentalized. They disconnected what God connected, right? We, we disconnect from other people that aren't like-minded, that for whatever reason, even if someone won't hear the truth of the gospel, treat him and her as a child of God created by him because that's exactly what they are. Don't compartmentalize based on faith. Don't isolate yourselves based on faith or ethnicity or, or social economic standing or education. You are God's child as is the person next to you. So I can be real. Remember the verse from Psalms 139? Search me, God, and know my heart. Now that can give, bring one of two feelings, right? I'm doing good, search me. Know my heart, or ooh. Search me, but don't, don't look there. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God knows what you've done. Jesus knew exactly who that woman was and what she had done when he approached her. Didn't just weigh him one bit invite God to know you and be prepared to show him the real you, the truth. He already knows it. The only good can come of that is, is that you get to put that out there for him to forgive. Third, don't be afraid. Jesus said the truth has set you free. as John 8, 32. So even though you are inviting him to see the real you, know that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Go confidently with all of your junk, so he can take care of it for you. Jesus saw into the heart of the Samaritan woman and he offered her grace in exchange for sin. I'll trade you this for that. So recognize your sin, admit to it, give it up. Consider this, if the Samaritan woman had not recognized her sin and felt shame, she would have come to the well in the cool of the day and she would not have met Jesus Christ. Her shame brought her to the one thing she needed to let that shame go. It's called conviction. Fourth, invite refinement. We talked about, Patrick, you said this morning, right? This, you get beat up a little bit, right? By stones of earth and a, you know, being tumbled about and chiseled away. God will let you experience fiery trials. It's promised. You know, King David's son, Adonaiyah, Adonai, Adonai, yeah. His father had never rebuked him by asking, what do you, why do you behave as you do? but he was humiliated later, killed. God loves you too much to rebuke you. He will discipline those he loves, it says. The Samaritan woman endured the noonday sun. Jesus used her discomfort to bring her to him. And I just wanna close the reading uh, this message by reading the same passage of scripture, John four. I'm gonna take 21 through 24. This is from the message and the message is a paraphrase. It is not a word for word translation. It's a paraphrase, it's a loose translation, but sometimes it gives you a slightly different perspective. So if you indulge me, John 4, 21 through 24. Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father, neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark, we Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews, but the time is coming, it has in fact come, when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. Do you hear that? What you're called and where you go won't matter. It says, it's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the father's out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before God in their worship. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. It says, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Does that put a little more context to it? I don't want that to replace the words of any other translations, but to hear something in there that says, you need to engage your whole being. Be yourself. Simple and honest, that's what it is. Let's make that our prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, here we are before you this Sunday morning. We gather to hear about you, to hear from you, to praise and to worship you. Would you just take away any hindrance on our hearts, whether it's something we brought in, a guilt, a conviction, whether it's something that just a a, a fear of, of rejection or judgment by anybody else, by yourselves or by you. Lord, you promise that doesn't matter. You say, simply come, simply be. And like the Samaritan woman, we just want to exchange what's in our hearts, that dark stuff for, for your forgiveness. We want to have room and a thirst and desire for this living water that you planted Lord, we ask for that in our lives and for those we know, those we care about and those we, we struggle with. Lord, you intend this for all people and we pray that all people will accept this generous gift because we know it's not what we've done but what you've done that makes us possible. So we thank you for the gift of your son. His life, his teaching, his example, that he stopped and took the long way, the, the difficult road to seek out people just like us, to talk to people just like us so that we know that you care and love for every single one of us. Lord, it's in his name that we pray and we thank you for that gift of the cross. Amen.